In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions. Be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote, from accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht get blether. And you could also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcast and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice. And welcome to episode 24 of Scottish Blethers with Liz Lister and Helen Houston. And I'm Susan Brown. In this episode, we are going to be picking up our favourite aspects of the islands. Liz, would you like to give us an introduction to the islands? Well, of course, when you think of Scotland nowadays, people, many, many tourists coming to visit our islands, we've got over 900 offshore islands, but just 94 of them are permanently inhabited. But we've got such a variety. Of course, most of them lie down the west coast because that's where all the volcanoes bubbled up as America drifted off as a continent. But they're also clustered of them inside the Firths, the Firth of Clyde and the Firth of Forth. And of course, we've got lots of freshwater islands as well, like Loch Lomond and Loch Leven. So we've got plenty to cover. So it's a good old blether. Brilliant. So Helen, what's your favourite island? Well, I'm going to stick with some of the smaller islands. And in the Firth of Forth, there is one really beautiful island called Inchcombe Island. And that has a lovely abbey on it. Sometimes Inchcombe Island is known as the Iona of the East, Iona being the beautiful small island just off Mull over in the west. And this abbey was founded there by King David because his brother, Alexander I, had sought shelter there during a storm. And what I like about Inchcombe Island is the little journey over the water that you have to take to get there. It's in a small boat. And on the way, you go under the fourth bridge, the beautiful rail bridge, and you come across beautiful colonies of seal all over the island. And the island, if you do go out there, it's worthwhile spending about an hour and a half to two hours on the island. And my grandson, who does open water swimming, one of his better swims was from Inchcombe Island to the Fife Coast, Aberdour, just last year. So it's a lovely one and a very favourite wedding venue. But beware of the weather if you book your wedding. Yeah, when I think of the islands in the Firth of Forth, I think of all the military installations because of course during the First and Second World War the Fourth Bridge was a major target because it's such an important communications link so they had lots of decoys and defence structures on these tiny little islands dotted about in the Fourth. Yes, on Inchcombe Island in 1916 an ammunition tunnel was dug through the eastern end of the island by the Royal Engineers and it's still open to explore today so it's lovely 
just relatively short, but you're bent double going through this little tunnel to get from one side of the island to the other. When I was young, I lived in Kinghorn, which is just off the Firth of Forth, and we spent all our childhood days playing in all these old defence structures. I mean, nowadays, health and safety, <laughs> no chance. Oh, I know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be allowed. And of course, another one of the islands in the Firth of Forth is the Isle of May, which is run by Nature Scott as a bird sanctuary. And I've been out there more for the underwater than the above water and being you know four or five meters under and then you've the birds coming down into the water swimming around and taking the fish absolutely amazing but I believe the puffin colony is quite something as well well my experience of the Isle of May was quite a number of years ago Susan when I was on holiday with the family believe it's not at Crail and we decided because the weather was not great we'd take a boat over to the Isle of May and this was basically I think I'm sure it was something like a Sunday because it was the time the fishing boats did not go out. So we went over on a fishing boat, which just had literally taken the catch off the night before. And so we were just sitting on the deck with all the bits and pieces going over to the Isle of May. And the lighthouse at that time was still, still a working lighthouse, but it was staffed. There were men on board, lighthouse keepers on the island. And so they took us up into the light and it was just a fascinating experience. I was probably only about nine or ten at the time, but I remember that experience. It was superb. And of course, if the weather isn't great, you can always go to the North Berwick Seabird Centre and watch from the video cameras there because the puffins, the parrots of the sea, they're so comical and fun to watch. And of course, we talked about the Abbey on Inchcombe. Well, the Isle of May was one of the earliest Christian churches founded in the 9th century. When we're talking about abbeys and churches, I mean, you mentioned Iona. We're not going to cover it because it's, it's worthy of so much more time. But for many people, Iona is the island of Scotland just off the West Coast because it was St Columba who established the famous monastery there. There's so much to see just we don't need to go too far to see just interesting things which sadly are very often not on tourist itineraries. Yes. Well one that very much is on tourist itineraries is my personal favourite and there's no doubt about this I love the Orkney Islands and when we talk about the Orkney Islands or Orkney talking about 70 islands 20 of which are inhabited but the largest by far is mainland and I just absolutely love mainland. I mean there's so much on Orkney to do when you're there. My personal favourite is the second largest settlement which is Stromness. You can come in on the ferry, it's just a short journey from Caithness on the north coast of Scotland and you come right into the centre of the village and of course this is where people have been coming for centuries. The Hudson Bay Company, the whaling ships, they would all come into Stromness to take their water and supplies before they headed off on their great long trips and very often they would take many of the local Arcadians, that's the name for the people who live on Orkney because they were such great seafarers they were very often press ganged both by the Royal Navy during the Napoleonic Wars but also just general use for merchants who were were trading so it was a dangerous life living on Orkney and of course a lot of explorers as well famous explorer John Ray who found the final link in the Northwest Passage he came from Stromness So for small islands lots of great things I've been to Orkney once many many years ago and it's on my bucket list I have to get back there Orkney and Shetland but one of the things I remember again strange things that stick in your mind was I think the first Big Brother episode on television was won ah. by a fish merchant from Orkney. So he was involved in local radio as well, wasn't he? And he had a very strong Orcadian accent. And I think that half of the UK watching Big Brother voted for him because they thought he was speaking a foreign language. It was it was a beautiful accent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't watch Big Brother even. 
<laughs> it lends itself so much to folklore and telling stories. And, and you might have listened to my interview with Lynn from Peat Fire Tales, Lynn Barber, and uh, the accent is just fantastic. Peedy and Peeny for wee things, lovely accent. Of course, what Orkney is most famous for is a UNESCO World Heritage Site for Heart of Neolithic Orkney. And it's just absolutely amazing because there's been so little development of the island. We have all these remains that go back. Actually, the Neolithic Orkney is over 5,000 years old. They've actually found charred hazelnuts, which go back 7,500 years. I mean, just imagine that. People living at that time, they were nomadic. They were hunter-gatherers. But then they settled down on the island. And if you visit Scarabray, which is the main site, you're able to see how these people lived when they first settled the land. And the visits are absolutely amazing. I've been a couple of times and really enjoyed walking around Scarabray. And of course, the excavations are still going on at... Is that the Stennis? There's a huge area that's under development in the summer that you can't get access to. But my personal favourite, I mean, the problem with Orkney and indeed Shetland, which is further north, is that they're now on the route of the cruise ships. And these cruise ships are enormous. So they come into the ports and they discharge the day trippers who come and flood the sites, you know, so that they're queuing up to walk your way around them. And then they go away again. They don't stay on the islands. They go back to the cruise ships. So my personal favourite, favourite is if you go to some of these sites like the Ring of Brodgar with the standing stones as the sun's setting and it's peaceful and quiet and you just get the wonder of why are they here? You know, what were these people doing building these standing stones and things that stone memorials that have stood for thousands of years? What was the purpose of them? Yes, it takes us back to Kilmartin Glen that Susan did a Mm. couple of weeks ago. Just the thinking that was going on in these people's heads, they were just so intelligent. And it really does come to the fore when you stand there and you look at all of these they were they must have been linked in some way because they're all in the same part of the island but archaeologists are just coming up with new theories all the time and it shows you that the heart of population of today is not necessarily the heart of population of yesteryear because you've got all of this stuff happening in Orkney that you don't seem to have to the same extent on the mainland so was the centre of culture based further north then rather than where it is today Definitely. And the other thing that we can take from today is that two and a half thousand years ago, they deserted the area. All this work that had been put in, suddenly the people disappeared. So what caused it? And they think perhaps that it was climate change. So something that we are very definitely facing today. It's amazing how what goes around comes around, isn't it? Exactly. And you could just imagine, I can't remember the name of the guy that went out. He was out for a walk and he there had been a terrible storm the night before. And with the waves and the wind battling against the coastline, some of the sand had been eroded away and suddenly this prehistoric village appeared before his eyes. I'm sure I read recently as well that further round the Bay of Scale, just recently, there's been some more erosion by the sea and they've found some more remains of a potential another village. I mean, it's happening all the time. There's one, there's a famous site to visit, which is called Tomb of the Eagles, where this tomb has been excavated and they found all the remains of great sea eagles. So they think this was part of a burial process. But further around, there's an entrepreneur who has developed his own. He had this great mound in the backyard of the farm and he always suspected that it was a burial mound. So he excavated it himself, much to the dismay of many people. And he found otters inside. So hundreds and hundreds of skeletons of otters and scats, the droppings of the otters. So perhaps this was some ritual which involved otters. Or perhaps the otters just got into the burial mound and left the remains as they 
went in there to search out what was inside. I look forward to the day I can go back up to Orkney and spend a week up there exploring. Supposed to happen a couple of years ago, but unfortunately got cancelled. So fingers crossed I can maybe get back, well, maybe this year, maybe next year. My absolute favourite. And also, it's such a rich agricultural island, unlike Shetland, which is much barer and barren. The, the food and drink and everywhere you go, it's little cafes and restaurants and oh, it's just fantastic and brilliant shopping because, of course, Orkney is famous for particularly silver jewellery. So plenty of shops to explore, cafes to pop into. Oh, you're making me miss it so much. <laughs> well, we better move away from Orkney, Liz, before you burst into tears. So much more to cover. I'm definitely coming back to Orkney in a future episode. It's just a joy. Susan, what about you? My heart lives on Lewis and Harris. So the Outer Hebrides on the west coast of Scotland. It's the big long island chain off the west. And that's the Outer Hebrides. And the top, I say the top two, but really it's the top one, is Lewis and Harris. They're joined together. I don't know why they're called two separate isles, but anyhow, I think for me, that is my go-to place when I want to chill out, when I want to reset, when I want to enjoy life in the great outdoors. The beaches are spectacular. People are still living a traditional way of life with the crofting. They're still cutting their own peats that they then dry and use in their houses in the winter. Of course, as you um, wander through the streets of Stornoway in in Lewis, you hear Gaelic spoken as the everyday language. Yes, there's that as well. Unfortunately, I don't speak enough Gaelic, but It's just lovely to hear them. And there's just so much to see and do. To be honest, a lot of it, if it's dry weather, I'm not even going to say sunny, I'm going to say dry weather. I've been there at different times of year, loved a week that I had in November. And yes, you had your jacket and your scarf on and sometimes your hat, but you were out walking the beaches and there was nobody there. And it's just, it's a place that resets. And I suppose a bit like Orkney, you've got the Standing Stones at Callanish. And there's a number of different, Callanish stone circles or stones, standing stones. So you've got plenty to visit there. And that's just, you know, Lewis. And then I've sat down at the beach and watched the otter working its way through all the little inlets round about that bit of the beach. And it's just been lovely to sit and watch. My favourite time of the year is May because I love wildflowers. And on the Western Isles, you have the Macher, which is the land between the sea and the mainland. So it's like the sand dunes, but they just come alive with wildflowers and some of them you know going back to Orkney again but some of them unique to Scotland we've got the little Scottish primrose which is purple in colour it's not yellow like most primroses all the wildlife coming back the birds you know it's absolutely fabulous in early summer very much so I remember taking a group to Luskentire Beach on Paris and just walking over the dunes and coming out onto that beautiful stretch of beach with beautiful white white sands and the sea was just turquoise. The sky was brilliant blue. They just could not believe their eyes because there was not one other person on the beach. And that is my favourite beach in the whole just world. Stunning. I went to Luskentire Beach for the first time just after I'd finished reading The Coffin Road by Peter May, which which is a book that starts on Luskentire Beach. It's a murder mystery. It starts on Luskentire Beach. And it was everything I expected to see without the body. <laughs> his books are great. They are. Yeah. And he's, I think he's got a new one just coming out just now. But I do love his books. And of course, if you have any heritage from Lewis or Harris, there's the Anne Seelham Centre a bit further south than Harris. And you've got Bill Lawson, who's the big genealogist and historian down there. And he's got a great research 
research centre. And not far from there, you can walk along to one of the other beaches and you can climb the little hill in South Paris. There's just so much to do, as long as you love the great outdoors, really. And there's some great little foodie places you can stop in at. You've got Sam's Seafood Shack at Rodal, next to Rodal Church. And if you're going to Rodal Church... I love that crab roll. And if you go to Rodal Church, look for the heart stone in the wall. There's a whole load of history round about there, but looking for the heart stone's always fun. Just putting in a plug for the future, the Countess of Dunmore was credited with promoting Harris Tweed. And if you go to Rodal Church, there's a plaque to the Countess of Dunmore. And I'm covering that as one of my topics coming up within the next few weeks. She's got a lot to answer for that lady, I'm telling you. I've got Harris Tweed sofas, cushions, handbags, jackets. (laughs) That's another thing on my bucket list, Susan. (laughs) Get some more (laughs) Harris Tweed. I think perhaps we should explain who we're talking about a great this and a, a fabulous that, that all of these things on the islands are beautiful because they are small and they're very intimate and they're very personal and you can go there and you're meeting with the real people. I just love that part of it all. And of course, when we're talking about the Western Isles, we couldn't not mention Barra because Barra has the distinction that you actually, if you come in by air, your small plane lands on the runway, which is the beach. So your your timetable is determined by the tide. It's absolutely fabulous. It was on my bucket list for years and years. I've now done it a couple of times. I mean, it's a short flight from Glasgow out to Barra and it's just the wonderful. The only commercial beach landing in the world. It is. Well, two of my grandchildren they've always had their holidays on the islands and they'd never flown before and to their surprise their mum and dad booked them their very first flight was the Glasgow to Barra flight and what a wonderful way to be introduced to air travel is to do that that little hop. The first time that I did it the pilot was a female and she was a local she was a resident of Barra and she had been a pilot on international flights and transatlantic flights and you can just imagine the difference of coming from being a pilot (laughs) on a transatlantic flight but going back to Barra and doing the beach landings definitely beat that. Well I thought we might just move into some of the freshwater islands that you mentioned Liz. Yeah great. And I was looking at Loch Lomond Um, Loch Lomond just one of the bigger lochs just you know on the west of Scotland not too far from Glasgow but there's something quite magical about one of the islands Inchkeilioch island on Loch Lomond and I went there for the first time on an archaeological dig when I was in sixth year at school aged about 17 Susan and we even had TV cameras came to film us because TV was a novelty then <laughs> Are we talking Susan? back in the ice ages or something? <laughs> <laughs> something like that although we did camp on the sandy beach and walked uphill each day to what was a little old church that we were trying to uncover the corners of at the top of the hill and just a couple of years ago I was checking in to a hotel in Glasgow and behind a group of wedding guests, obviously wedding guests because of what they were wearing, their, their clothes. But when I looked down at their feet, they were all in walking boots or wellies. And when I spoke to them, they had just come back from Inchkeilioch, where the wedding ceremony had taken place in the little church and graveyard that we uncovered all these years ago. And so and the reception was to be in the hotel. They'd come back to civilization for the hotel. But Inchkeilioch is a wonderful island in Loch Lomond. But the other 
other islands that just some of you may not know that one of the islands actually has a population of wallabies on one of the islands in Loch Lomond. And another island has a nudist colony. Well, that's my memory of it because I I studied um, aquatic biology and I went on a freshwater field trip to Loch Lomond and staying in a, a field station there. And we were out in the boat going around and I'm not sure, it must have been that island because there was a photographer who had obviously hired a very expensive model and was trying to take these artistic pictures and of course we're all oh, look 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 it's a nudie it's a nudie <laughs> were you one of the models Liz? <laughs> no afraid not much too chilly for me and of course about the wallabies on the island in uh, Loch Lomond brought over in the 1800s and there's still a couple left although I think a few have managed to swim off the island because they've been seen round about Loch Lomond. Yes and there was some concern last year when we were all locked down we still are locked down and all the people going on staycation that didn't really understand and they were doing wild camping on the island and they weren't being kind to the wallabies. That's not so good. And you're talking about islands in freshwater lochs the other one that you couldn't miss is Loch Leven because of course has the famous castle in the middle which was the prison for Mary Queen of Scots you can take a lovely little ferry across to the island and have a picnic and it doesn't take long to explore it's just a very small island and just imagine what it would have been like to be a prisoner there persuading one of the little servant boys to bring you the keys and then row you across and from there you made your escape so if anybody is a Mary Queen of Scots fan that's a definite must visit on your itinerary. And of course the island on Loch Leven, the castle Lochleven Castle reminds us of the change in architecture that took place around the 17th century, 18th century, where houses were built or grand palaces were built. And as important was the vista. Susan mentioned last week about Schoon Palace. Well, when Sir William Bruce built Kinross House, part of the siting of the house on the mainland was to have right in the sights of the main windows Lochleven Castle on the island. And of course, if you're on Lochleven, you've got all these wonderful, wonderful sites for waterfowl, all these up to 30,000 birds are present in the winter months and the birds migrate from various places, you know, Greenland, Iceland, Ireland, Siberia and Northern Central Europe. It's a fantastic place just to be and to watch the pink-footed geese rising off the loch in the morning as they go out looking for their food is quite spectacular. And of course, we couldn't cover islands in Scotland without mentioning Skye. We've been kind of skirting around it, but when people think of Scotland, Skye is very high up on their list. And that begs the question, when is an island not an island? Because, for example, the residents of Mull, which is Scotland's second largest island, would say that Skye is not an island. Why not? It's got a bridge. Oh, the bridge. It must be the bridge, yes. Exactly. So they claim that they are the largest island because Skye is not technically an island. But Skye is exactly what you were talking about, Helen, with staycations. But even before that, Skye has real problems with over-tourism. And we face on the islands the problem of sustainable tourism because there's been so many programmes during lockdown about the beautiful Hebrides, Orkney, Shetland. You're just waiting for the lockdown to be lifted and people are going to be flooding up there. And of course, that's the problem that Skye faced. There's no doubt that it is one of our most beautiful islands. But if you're in a queue of motor 
homes and coaches going round the Trotanish Peninsula. The roads are destroyed, there's not enough toilet facilities. So we really have to look at sustainable tourism in the future. It was quite interesting. I watched a programme on television. Ramesh Ranganeshan was going round Scotland, going round the islands. I was doing Christmas and he was on Sky and he had a, a superb guide with him you know, in the taxi taking him round. And at the end of the day, Ramesh Ranganeshan said, you know, this is unbelievable. All the other Christmas programmes I've done down through the years have been saying, you know, tell all your people to come and visit us. We'd love to see them. He said, but here on Sky, you're saying, please just stay away till we settle down because of the numbers. People on Sky were saying, just please stay away. Let, let's get our tourism night to give you a good experience. Yeah, but it was the same. There was one recently, which I absolutely loved, which was Darcy Bustle, which some of you will know from Strictly Come Dancing. She was one of the judge, a famous ballerina, and she was going back to her roots, which was her grandfather and she did many of the islands off the west coast ending up in Rothsey which is in the Firth of Clyde so we haven't covered any of them and my personal favourite is Millport again going back to biology in this case it was the marine centre on Millport it's just a very small island you can cycle round it it's just 10 miles circuit so one of the great things to do is to hire bikes and cycle round the island but it was here that I met my husband what was that about biology or is that chemistry (laughs) that's chemistry (laughs) Where did it go? <laughs> oh, it's still there, I'm sure. And of course, one of the other islands just across from Millport is the Isle of Arran. Now, that is just a beautiful place and very. it's in the Firth of Clyde and very often used, referred to as Scotland in miniature. It's the seventh largest Scottish island, believe it or not. It's unique because the Highland Boundary Fault, which divides the Highlands from the Lowlands, if you like, in Scotland, runs right across Arran. So you've got Highlands and Lowland areas on the island of Arran. Those islands in the Firth of Clyde were really popular during Victorian and Edwardian times. And so many of the villas on the island were built then. And for years and decades, people would go from Glasgow to the islands of the Firth of Clyde. But there's a lesson there. You know, we're talking about sky and over tourism on sky. And what happened was that with the opening up of air travel in the 60s, the Scots, instead of going to the islands of the Firth of Clyde, they went instead to Spain and the Balearics and eventually to Orlando which is one of the big favourites for Scots. They absolutely love Orlando. And so it's very unusual for locals to go now. A lot of people own holiday homes on on these islands. But there's a tip. You know, if you want to come to Scotland and don't fancy the crowds of Sky, then go to one of the islands of the Firth of Clyde. We used to go to Arran as children. Every year we would have holidays down the West Coast. And even now, with my parents' grandchildren and my aunts and uncles, all their grandchildren, they tend to take a house for a week or two weeks on Arran. And they all go over and it's back to the kind of holidays that I certainly remember. And I'm sure, Helen, you remember as well of, you know, your Scottish holidays with the family and enjoying the, the basic delights. Funny, Susan, you mentioned, because we, we had a holiday on Arran and I, I, I do remember climbing to the top of Goat Fell, which is the highest hill on Arran. I've actually only done it a couple of times. We were more beachy and we lived in Corrie. We'd take a cottage in Corrie on the side looking on towards the Ayrshire coast. But we would always go up and round to Loch Ranza and to Catacol and we'd walk up some of the rivers and go and play in the, the water pools up there and things like that. I mean, just halcyon days. Oh, yes, yes. And there's also a number of golf courses on, on Arran. So that takes a lot of the people from Glasgow for their holiday homes. They like to have the golf courses there. And, you know, there's one of the golf courses founded in 1896. There's golf courses on a lot of the islands. You remind me of the one on Iona. And uh, there, no greenkeepers, 
and they just use the sheep. So (laughs) instead of shouting four for other golfers, you're shouting four (laughs) at the sheep that are wandering across the fairway. I well remember my parents, not an island golf course, but Stirling Golf Course. They had cows on the golf course. And um, one of the local rules was if your ball landed in a cow pat, you lifted and dropped. You didn't try to play it out of it. Now, on Aran, going back to an island, Liz, it actually has one of the facilities that you might enjoy after your experience on Loch Lomond. It has the quietest nudist facility in the Ooh. world. Oh, I didn't know it had a nudist beach. Tell me more. I think it's called Cleats Shore. So if, you, if you're if you over there, Susan, you either avoid or go. I mean, Scotland and nudism are just not two words that do not fit well together. From a cultural or a weather point of view. I tell you what, ladies, talking about these islands, I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to getting back out there again. I mean, hopefully we can see an end in sight now and um, me and the hordes will be heading for these islands. Yes, I would love to get out to the islands this year. In fact, I've got one tour in September that's due to go out that way, so fingers crossed it will go ahead. Uh, We'll just have to wait and see. I've got a Western Isles one that's been postponed from May in 2021. We're going out in 2022 and I just can't wait. Just bring our visitors back. We want to get back and get working and visit all our favourite places. Well, I think we've done quite a, a lot of island hopping as we've gone gone round And just today. to put a plug in, we, are, we will be doing virtual tours from these islands. They will be coming up. If you haven't seen any of our virtual tours yet, then we are we do have plans for the Western Isles and no doubt Orkney will be featuring it there at some point. But um, Helen, you've got one coming up, the next one. Yes, the next is our next virtual tour is in just under two weeks time on the 11th of March. And that's when I will be taking you to Kouris. Now, it's one of these towns that's spelt different differently to the, what it sounds. And it it's a magical place. It's almost like a time warp. It's just a town stuck in time. It was a major heart of industry in the 16th, 17th century Scotland with huge exporting and travel going back and forward to Europe, um, monopolies for some of the big goods that they made there. And apart from all of that, one of the most amazing engineering wonders of the world was put out in the sea in the 16th, you know, the early 17th century. So Susan talked about the heart of the population moving from, we think about the Standing Stones. Well, the heart of the population of Scotland was centred around Kouris at that time. And it's just a beautiful little village, which I will take you around as a virtual tour on the 11th of March. Looking forward to it, Helen. Well, I think it's time for our words of the week now. Susan, what's your word of the week? Well, my word of the week is how I feel when I think I'm going to get out and about again and I'm going to get out to the islands. It's the heebie-jeebies. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. Now, this could be taken two ways. It could be that it gives you goosebumps or it could be that it makes you shiver and you're like, ooh, what's that? So the heebie-jeebies. Ah, that's a good word, yes. And what about Liz? Well, we're talking about islands today and, of course, the populations of the islands. When you go out there, there are people who've lived there for generations. Same way of life, crofting that you spoke about, Helen. And so if you're an incomer, someone who moves in and joins the population, it takes a long time for you to be accepted and to be considered a local. So for a long time, you're called a ferry louper. Someone who loups or jumps onto the ferry, does a day trip and then goes away. You've jumped off the ferry. So a ferry louper is the unflattering name they go to. They call incomers to the village. 
Now, my word of the day, we've talked about the islands on the Firth of Clyde. And it used to be very popular again before sun and sea and air travel came in, was to go doon the water, to go down the water. And Glasgow Fair, everything shut down for two weeks in July. And everybody moved out of Glasgow and went doon the water for the fair. So down the River Clyde. Well, there's a lovely song, the Song of the Clyde, which used to be my party piece. And one of these days I'll do it. (laughs) I sing of a river I'm happy beside. The song that I sing is the song of the Clyde. Of all Scottish rivers, it's dearest to me. It flows from lead hills all the way to the sea. But wait, wait a minute. There's there's Paw and Maudun at the Broomielaw. They're going doing the water for the fair. There's Bob and Mary on the Govan Ferry wishing Jeff Repulsion could be there. There's laddies cruising and there's buddies cruising and there's lassies fishing for the pier. And Pospor spiring very near expiring as he rose aboard for there to hear. We eyes are flashing, it is voted smashing to be walking. Walking daily on the prom, and May and Evelyn are in seventh heaven as they stroll along with Dick and Tom. And Dumbarton Rock to every Jean and Jock extends a welcome that is high and wide. Seems to know that they are on their homeward way to hear the song of the club. That was brilliant. Ladies, thank you. It's been fabulous talking to you as always. And we'll meet again next week for the next episode. And there we have it, the end of another episode of Scottish Blethers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blethers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast platform of choice. It's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye.